0: all right i'll follow your lead all right i'm andy brewer here with the uh northwest ahec well here at my house not at northwest AHEC. but we're gonna try this is my first attempt at uh at a remote podcast I, I typically like to uh sit down across the table from my guests um but we're going to try this on zoom today and i have the pleasure to sit down um, with a great community leader and um, just all around uh, Great guy, and and um, we had a great chat um, months ago when the world was a whole different place, and, and yes, and him to sit down with me again today, and and, and I'm so glad that he did. So uh, without further ado, Nigel Alston is here. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Well, the world has changed quite a bit since we sat down uh, and talked, and what I wanted to do is keep this conversation focused on. Um, you know, related to the health of our communities um, here in, in northwest section of North Carolina and um, and focus on the positive things that have changed um, over the months. And, and I've, I've followed you on Instagram and Facebook and you're a prolific social media uh, influencer. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I, I love the quotes that you post and, and um, the things that you... you Focus on as far as community, and and um, you know, I just want to start out by saying, you know, how has how has life for you changed? Obviously, you're not in the schools doing the book club and things like that. Um, you know, what have you been
1: up to? Well, uh, about the same as everyone else. Uh, I'm in that category of uh, over the age of 65 with underlying conditions, and that means uh, you minimize uh contact and doing certain things so uh, doing all the things that we should be doing wearing a mask when going out uh, there's been some pro and con in terms of wearing gloves to wear cross-contaminates or not i think if you come in the hospital they tell you not to wear them but you know i do wear those when i go out particularly at grocery store or something like that uh, few people uh, that we have maintained contact with And just because we know where we're going and who we're with and maintaining distance. So some of the things we've done before, but in terms of uh, the one thing that I miss, uh, I'm a hugger, right? Or giving you some dap, as we would say, or a handshake. And so it's the natural inclination is to, and you realize I can't do that. (laughs) And so you have to step back. So that's, that's probably for me. Uh, been the biggest adjustment. So we uh, have had a number of meetings via Zoom or WebEx, uh, trainings as well. I have a small group that we've convened right after George Floyd's death to talk about that. And we've been doing that for about a month and a half and sharing information. So uh, pretty much doing what most of America is doing, uh, trying to keep a distance and using other technology to connect with people.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of joining you on some watch parties, uh, some of the Zoom calls that you did prior to the George Floyd um, uh, tragedy, and and um, I wanted to revisit one that I was just a fly on the wall and listening to you and a lot of your colleagues, and peers talk about your experience growing up um, in in your neighborhood and 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 the uh, the the you know, the experience of uh, being, you know, going to school in your community and, and, you know, how you had so much uh, community support as a, as a school, school child and, and how you had, you know, the word, if you got in trouble at school, the word had reached home before you even got there. And, and, That's right. and so if you could just uh, kind of, you know, I forgot the name of the of, of the neighborhood you you grew up on, but can you just describe, you know, how how that experience helped form your later
1: success in life? So I'll, I'll take you back, uh, way back, let's say, since I'm one of those uh, on the other end of the curve now. So I grew up in in um, I am from Winston Salem, born and raised here. And so at a very young age, we lived in Columbia Terrace, which is now Skyline Village. So that's near once the salem State, back over from Bowman Gray Stadium. And so I grew up in that area, I went to uh, all-Black uh, schools from uh, actually kindergarten, which was Bethlehem Center, which still exists, through Kennedy Junior High School. So I went to Bethlehem Center, I went to Lillian Mebane, which is uh, no longer. It was behind Anderson High School, which is now the Anderson Center is where that was. Uh, then went to Columbia Heights uh, Elementary School, which is was on the campus of Winston-Salem State. Is still a building there, but it's something else now. Then went to Fabry Elementary, which is now Ashley uh, School. And then from Ashley to John F. Kennedy, Junior High School. And so from Kindergarten through junior high school, I went to all black schools with all black teachers. And so that experience is quite different than what many have now, or anyone have at this particular time. Those all black schools, particularly the high schools were all uh, closed years ago. It would have been in the 70s, I believe, early 70s, and then folk had to go to majority schools at that time. So the experience for me was quite different in terms of the formative years. Um, in many cases, uh, teachers also lived in the neighborhood, also attended the same church that you attended. And so as you can imagine, there were close connections, uh, which going back to your earlier point, if something happened over here, it traveled home before you reached home. <laughs> and, and there was no such thing at that time as the teachers wrong. Uh, this is what Miss Pannell said. That's it. There's no discussion about that. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, my football coach in junior high school, Mr. Cuthro, lived right across mm-hmm. the street. Uh, we used to play basketball in his backyard with a goal. So there was a different sense of community uh, and accountability because you went to church with some of the folk. You lived in the same neighborhood as some of them, and you were also in their class or they knew something about you. And because of those relationships, community was different. And so at that time, um, we have what we call now schools of choice or neighborhood schools. To me, it's never been neighborhood schools. It's been schools closest to you. Neighborhood schools are what I grew up with because they were in the neighborhood and you could walk to school and. You knew everyone and we went to school together for a long period of time. So that, that closeness, uh, that interaction, uh, there was a gentleman who lived across the street from us named Mr. McGinnis. Uh, Mr. McGinnis had a little fence around his yard. It was just on a slight elevation. He'd sit on the front porch with a BB gun <laughs> and he used that to keep the dogs away. But what he also did was when your parents were at home, he knew who was coming in, not coming in, <laughs> who was in the house, and uh, because he had difficulty pronouncing my first name, he would always call me Little Austin. But the point is, he watched out, and other people did too. So something happened. there was some immediate "Here's what's going on, or I saw this war going into your house at four o'clock," and he wasn't supposed to. so the the sense of community is different than it is now. Um, not many people know who lives two houses down below them. Uh, you know, there have been some studies where people have taken a child in the neighborhood and walked around and someone didn't know who they were. So that sense of community and closeness and interactions in multiple venues is some of what um, influenced me or impacted me from kindergarten through ninth grade. Well, I, you know, the the word community is
0: bandied by a lot today, but what you described was a true community um, experience. and and. What happened? Why did we get away from that? You know, I mean.
1: Well, you know, things have changed. Housing patterns have changed. Uh, in one sense, we've integrated, but we're more segregated than we were at some point in time. So you look at East Winston, you see some of that now. When you only have one grocery store in East Winston, uh, I don't think we have a hardware store at all. You have uh, uh, food deserts, and you look at another side of town. I live on the west side of town, not too far from you. Uh, probably a couple miles down the road, mm-hmm. and within I'm gonna say a three to five mile radius, there are at least seven or eight major grocery store chains. So I can go up Robin Hood, down Meadowlark, down Country Club, down Peacehaven, down Robin Hood, back up Robin Hood, and see seven or eight. Uh, if I go to East Winston, I just go down MLK to food line, and that's the only one. Uh, with integration. Uh, the intent was, in terms of the outcome, it's different. And so, uh, folk are being bused in to achieve some of that. Uh, but there's still some segregation, even within schools that are integrated. Uh, communities are different in terms of those that you live around, attending church with, uh, the mobility has changed. And so, the sense of community, to some extent, because of those factors has just changed uh, versus what it was before.
0: Well, you know, the intent, um was to somehow improve things um especially you know racial relations and and um you know just creating a a a more of a quilt of society i guess is a way to look at it um you know we could look you know at the last 40 years and ask was it successful and you know i've talked to people who um who have parents that went through that and, you know, were very well supported in where they were in school. And then, um, without their consent, basically were forced to go to another school where they didn't have the community support and they didn't have teachers that cared about them or understood their experience and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I have a, I have a real trouble with, uh, um, you know, first of all, to even bring up that integration or school busing was a bad idea is really a controversial position. But, um but you know looking at where we are now, I have to ask, you know, did we did the intention pay off the way it was supposed to? Because you know, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. And and you you said it yourself. Uh, you know, here we are with schools that are arguably they're integrated, but arguably just as, as segregated within right. the walls. And and you know, what we don't have anymore, I think, is 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 a really strong community fabric that holds everyone accountable and right. and, and has that experience. So I, I just you know any thoughts on on how we reach the ideal that was the intention but it obviously has
1: has not paid off the way we thought it would. Well, you know, some of that, and I'm not an expert in this, and there are others who can articulate it better than I can. But a lot of it has to do with housing patterns, right? Uh, so there was redlining at one point years ago. Uh, if you look in our community, you just cross 52 and you see the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. So there's still some people, white specifically, who don't cross 52. And so their perception of what's on the other side is driven by what they see or what they hear or others experience or the media, mm-hmm. which which may not be consistent with what reality is. Uh, when I was at Winston-Salem State several years ago, uh, we as director of community relations or executive director of university engagement, one of the things we did was we started a tour and we would invite the folk who otherwise wouldn't come to the campus or hadn't been there to find out more about it. And so they would come in, they would learn something about the school, talk to the chancellor, and then we put them on a bus. And we would tour the campus and different parts of the campus, including down in the research park where there is some research going on. And the common thing that most would say is, I didn't know that. And they didn't know it because they'd never been there and they never came across 52. Uh, you may recall when the career center was built on the property where I went to junior high school, which is Kennedy Junior High. Now is just a huge campus. So when it was initially determined to relocate and build it there, there was a lot of opposition because it's in East Winston, and that's just a perception. Now that has not been an issue, and so the the housing patterns. Um, Mixing that up throughout the community would change some of that because you would have some of that closeness and interaction, but no one wants it in their backyard, right? You want want to protect what you have and you don't want it to be different. You don't want someone coming in that's other than you are. And consequently, uh, you continue to facilitate what always has been. So unless you take some conscious effort to engage that, I was just reading in the paper this morning, my wife was sharing with me Uh, an apartment complex, uh, it's near Old Greensboro Road, and they're wanting to move the tenants out so they can repurpose, I I didn't read it, so I don't know all the details, repurpose or renovate or change in some way that property, which means different people are going to come in that look different than those that are in, but where do they go?
0: Yeah, I, that was sort of the same conversation around the ballpark that was built. And, and right. So, so some, some of these historical communities just disappear uh, when the bulldozers come and, and yeah. development. them. Um, so, yeah, that's that's an issue. I mean, you, look at, you look at Innovation
1: Quarter and, and R.J. Renner's Tobacco Company, right? So before there was what is now Innovation Quarters, there was an Innovation Quarter, and it was called Downtown, which is Black winston Cell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was already an innovation Quarter. Right. There were barbershops and there were restaurants and there were movie theaters and there were businesses. Yeah. No longer exists. There's no remnant of it. You don't see it. The last remnant is Gola uh, Amuzon Church, which is up for sale, mm-hmm. which is the only remnant left there of any historical significance to the Black community. Uh, you look at the uh, gentrification, which is an issue, So much of um, RJ Reynolds Tobacco Factory, where my grandmother and grandfather worked for years, and many African-American in this community made a very good living. is now either condos, living quarters, NMAR, innovation quarters. And so you have people who built that and sustained it, who are on the outside looking in, and just will not have the opportunity to participate for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And that just continues to exacerbate an issue that wasn't the best to begin with,
0: yeah, um you posted something. I'm going to get back to that area of town um because I think industry hill is the up and coming kind of area that um i've been I'm now on the board of mixer, which is in that area um which is a makerspace, and one of our missions is to make it accessible to everyone and and right. really really being proactive about. Uh, recruiting talent and creation creativity from across 52 if you will because uh-huh. it's you know it's right there where that historical area you just mentioned is and and I think that the people behind it a lot of those efforts are really seriously engaged in wanting to create a new uh, a new, ethos there, if you will, and and, and really try to revitalize that as a center of activity for producing art, producing goods, producing new inventions and stuff like that. So that's, that's a a shining light, I think, on things. But what I wanted to get back to, you posted something, I looked for it um, on your timeline, but you're such a prolific poster that (laughs) it's I, I kept scrolling, and I couldn't find it, but you posted a, a something and it was like, you know, we've had the studies, we've had the committees, we've had the, all the NGOs and community groups and public-private partnerships over, you know, since the 60s uh, when the civil rights uh, uh, efforts were going on and activities. And, and it's like, it's like we're, you know, when people use that language again. Oh, well, we're going to study this issue. And and it's like, and here we are marching again, and
1: here we are protesting. And it's like, has anything changed? Well, you know, the old saying, as you know, the more things change, the more things remain the same, right? And to the point that you're making, uh, we know that if children have food before they go to school, they'll do better in terms of learning. So why don't we feed them? We don't need another study to tell us that right and that's part of my point we know that we have um, one of the highest levels of poverty in terms of hunger of youth in the country in Forsyth County not just in the state but in the country if we know that why don't we do better we know that we have food deserts in East Winston we don't need another study to tell us that Uh, the Attorney General is um, start, I was on another, and you may have been on as well, the, the Minister's Conference of vicinity had a Zoom um, sort of town hall, if you will, and uh, Attorney General Stein was a part of it. And it was in the wake of Floyd, and, and just talking about that. And one of the things that came out of it, he said that he had just been appointed by the governor to a commission to do study. And my my point is with that, not that there may not be some good things that are coming out, but we're very good at studying and not very good at executing things that come out of it that can actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do another study. What we need is to hold people accountable and enforce the laws that we have so that people's behavior change. You may still not like me, and that's okay. (laughs) But if there's some accountability for what you do, It would go a long way in terms of changing things. And so, part of to me, this eruption and protest that we have as a result of Florida is that you can't unsee that, Mm -hmm. right? The optics of that was just so that you can't unsee it and it's moved people to do something. So, another study, I just, there's some things that we know, let's do. We know if we provide the resources for teachers to teach, they can do a better job. We already know that teachers, my wife taught for more than 36 years. We know that they work longer than what they're paid for. We know that many of them don't have enough resources and spend their own money. And yet we say they aren't doing a good job because of the outcomes are what we say. Yeah. We'll provide the resources and give them the opportunity to do so. So my my, my point in that, whatever was on my timeline, because I think what you're saying is I throw a whole lot of stuff on the wall. <laughs> so it's hard to keep up with it. Is, we know better. Why don't we do better? Mm-hmm. And there's some reason we don't do better. And that's because someone wants to protect what they have. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, you're afraid that, that you're going to lose something that you have. And therefore you just continue to establish work.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, Sheriff Kimbrough, when I sat down with him, said the same thing. It's like, we've got so many community organizations and so much resources. That we just had, accountability and, and cooperation and collaboration amongst and We could have probably done a whole lot more. And and my personal view is just looking at what's happened over the years. It's like, you know, we, we, we flood places with money and the money just kind of dries up before it gets to the street. You know, it, it just doesn't make it to where it's intended. And, and a lot of the ruling class get richer and, and, you know, it, it just there's no accountability or there's little accountability there to actually show outcomes and i think one of the things there was a lot of money thrown at us uh right when covid started to stay you know when we started to stay at home and the cares act and all that and so all these uh, funded agencies had all these different plans but no one was talking about how to manage the money and how, what are the outcomes, the measurable outcomes that are the goal. It's like, Oh, we want to do all these great things that we've been talking about. Um, but you know, they're not, you know, no one's pegging it to specific outcomes. And I think, you know, we, like you said, we had state we know that proper nutrition and health is key. And that's why we're talking, it's why I'm talking to you with healthcare insights. We're concerned with, uh, creating a better quality product for healthcare and the health and well-being of our community here in, in our region, in North Carolina, and beyond, of course. But uh, we know that. We know that education is key to um, eliminating ignorance, which I would argue has a lot to do with racism, you know. Uh, so, so. I don't know what my point is or my question is just like, there seems to be a lot of money available in a lot of organizations that are, you know, that fight over those, 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 you know, piles of money. And at the end of the day, we don't really see a lot of change. And maybe, you know, you posted one, it's maybe 2020 is the year we've been waiting for, you know, it's that, you know, let's, let's take it and look, you know, like Jocko Willink says, you know, you, you had this tragedy happen to you, good. Now let's turn life around and build upon that. You
1: know? Well, you know, one of the, the, and maybe you agree with this as well, um, 2020 has produced some revelations. And again, you can't unsee it and we can't go back. So we have a pandemic that's changed everything. And it's not just affecting some people, it's impacting everyone. And one of the things that's highlighted are the disparities in healthcare, and particularly the significant impact in the African-American community, right? Now, we already knew that, that, this, that isn't new. Yeah. People, people have been saying it, but now you see it, and you cannot unsee that now. Mm-hmm. So when we already knew it, and now it's highlighted and you see it, Why are we slow to have testing in the African-American community when testing is one of the things that will make a difference? You know, it's it's just happening more now, and this has been going on since February, January, February. It's just the slowness of moving about something that you already uh, know something about. The issue with George Floyd is something that we already knew. He wasn't the first. And what's surprising is, since it happened, it continues to happen, which is, for me, I just shake my head. It's like, did you not see this? Why would you continue to do that? We already know it, and we've been saying it. So either for some reason you didn't believe in what I told you, or you don't care, or you're privileged and you've been shielded from it, but now you have no choice because you can't unsee that. Mm -hmm. And it's creating more, um, in some cases, dialogue, I think, I and mean, you've probably seen this as well, one of the things, Fannie Lou Hamer, was a civil rights organizer years ago, one of her sayings is, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, Andy, I've been telling you this and telling you this and telling you this, and you look at me as if, you know, it's paint on the wall, and now all of a sudden it's, oh, this is not fair. Well, what do you think I've been telling you all along? Now we need to, uh, as I said, we need some profitable action. Mm-hmm. You know, some things need to be changed. Um, Reverend Barber just mentioned if the statutes coming down won't make a difference if the statutes don't change. Mm-hmm. So something legislatively doesn't change, it doesn't matter that they came down because the same thing that caused that to go up is still going on. You just don't see it in the
0: form of a physical monument that's up. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned Reverend Barber, and I've followed him for years now. And he was, uh, you know, they've been doing the Moral Mondays back when McCrory was when's when in office. And I guess right. I, I still, they're, I guess they're still up there, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, with with action. Um, You know what have they produced has anything been produced that's that that has provided some statutes that 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 have changed anything or or is it just a a long slow sloth through the bureaucracy of of state politics you know for me one of the things
1: that is changing and what he's doing which is what i like is that he is he is highlighting the commonality of poor minorities to come together because the issues impact all of us, right? And so, if I can show you how we're joining this together and how this impacts us, and more of us come together, we have more leverage in terms of impacting and change. And so, the groundswell of support you know, it's across ethnicities, it's across the country. I think has been heard, the stats that he's using, the impact that it's having on people when you, when and if you look at it and you try to understand it and don't ignore it, it will impact some change. So I I think some of that is happening. The message is getting out. Uh, The Poor People campaign, uh, as it is referred to now, continues to do a good job. And, And I like the message and think it resonates with a broad swath of, of people across the country versus a few. And as you know, the, the extreme ends of our conversations is where all the uh, vitriol is at times, which doesn't aid in actually moving forward. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we look for is some meaningful action that demonstrates some change. And outside of that, I just don't trust you. So Andy, I trusted you <laughs> until you give me a reason not to. Exactly. When you give me a reason not to, you have to earn the trust back again. Mm-hmm. And that, that's at the heart to me of a lot of what's going on. Um, I don't trust you. I continue to see what happens. It happens over and over again. So why should I believe you now? Show me something mm-hmm. that demonstrates you heard what I said, you acknowledge it, and something different happens. And then at that time, maybe we can continue to walk forward together.
0: Yeah, well said. Uh, you know, I think there's some factors that are, I don't know if it's intentionally, but it seems so, you know, the divisiveness that we get through the media, um, the, you know, we there's several factors at play that I feel um, affects our ability to create change. One of which, as you said at the beginning, is, is the hugging and just the cl- social closeness. I really cringe when I hear the word social distance I like that fact that people are starting to use physical distance as a a better term because Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't make me wince as much as social distance because we're social creatures and the only way we can get anything done is when we're socially connected and we're in proximity Um, I mean as good as zoom and these things are just being across the table from someone to look them in the eye and get the body language and all that. But also, like, just ad hoc conversations that pop up in the most, um, you know, the places you least expect them to. And I think that's how we create those bridges to understanding. And with this, you know, back, you know, face covering and keeping distant, we, we're losing some of that. Now, the last piece of that, I think, that I wanted to add, you know, Reverend Barber and all the clergy that are that are behind or they're supporting these movements and these actions um are faith-based and you know there's all these conversations that happen about oh how you know let's go into minority communities and let's connect with the churches because that's the center of the community you know and and what i worry about that is is the flight from faith and from organized uh centers of faith um of young people and, and the, the nihilism and, you know, whether that's, you know, climate fear or, um, just general apathy towards fellow man. Um, you know, that worries me. I mean, I think that a lot of the grounding that we have morally towards each other comes from something greater than us. And I think people who scoff at religion, um, and it does you know, I don't, I don't care what religion it is, but that is that is sort of the core of of human progress has been this guidance from a, something that's greater than all of us. You know, the mm-hmm. king of kings, let's say, and, you know, what's, what's the ideal and everything? And let's create that what which we aspire to. And I think when we don't have that growing in the younger generations, it's dangerous. Um, do you have any, you know, feel for how... Are the, I guess, let me distill that down into a question. Let's say those traditional centers of community cohesion of the churches are they growing? Are they contracting? You know, what do you see on the ground um, happening there?
1: Well, you know, in, in, in terms of churches, there's been a decline in terms of those who are going for some period of time. And one of the categories that has increased more than others is nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And it, they aren't saying that they don't believe or aren't spiritual, they just aren't a part of organized religion. And so the, the heart of that, again, there are others who, who have more knowledge than I do on this, so this is just my interpretation and my observation. And Dale Carnegie, um, I'm a trainer, and one of the things we, we, I share with students, there was a study done by a professor at UCLA some time ago. And it talks about the impact someone has in terms of what you believe. And based on the study, uh, folk believe less in what you say and more in how you say it. So if it's just the words alone, it's a very small percentage. If it's your tone of voice, it's a little bit different. And if it's your body language, it impacts it more. And so the point is, if your your language and your tone is not congruent with the words, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. So I hear what you say, Andy. <laughs> but I'm looking at how you're saying it and your facial expression, and I don't believe you. So the words don't match. And I think that's at the heart of, of some of what you just described is, um, some leaders, whether it's faith-based or not, or within the church, the words that they are preaching don't match the actions that people see. And because I see something different than what you say, I don't wanna be a part of that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm gonna move on to something else. It's just incongruent. So if you say that you're a Christian, but you don't reach out to help me, I'm questioning, really? Yes. You know, because if, if, if he gave, depending, and I'm not trying to proselytize to anyone, but if you believe that he gave his only begotten son, whom he loved to save everyone else, and yet you don't exhibit some of that, then I'm looking at you to say, hmm, I'm not sure that what you tell me you believe is what you believe because you don't exhibit it. And so the folk know that, I mean, you, you know it, we know it in organizations. You just ask anyone on the ground if the company actually demonstrates the values that they have posted on the poster that says values and vision. Mm -hmm. And you go talk to someone and say, do they do it? They can tell you whether they do it or not because they see inconsistencies in some cases with the words. So to the extent that the words match the actions, it creates more value and credibility and you tend to um, want to support that. So I think that has... A lot to do with it is that whether it's millennials or younger, generation X or Y, whichever that is, what they see and what they hear are two different things. Now, A friend of mine just said something recently, and I'll shut up so you can ask the next question. Now, we've often heard we should practice what we preach. And she heard something differently and flipped it and said, what if we preach what we practice? And that's a completely different picture.
0: Yeah.
1: In other words, don't say something that you don't practice. And if you preach what you practice, it's, it's just more, much more powerful and meaningful. Yeah.
0: Talk is cheap. Yes. <laughs> and, and I would relate that into the current toxicity of online social media, which is anything but um, where people are activated. Um, I, I left Twitter. I, I couldn't, I couldn't follow it anymore. I just it, my heart rate would go up and I'd be activated. And I think that's a problem with a lot of people is they wake up and the first thing they do is go check Twitter timeline and get activated and outraged and just get on the keyboard and just start spewing toxic words out, you know, and doing that all day prevents someone from going out into the world uh, and and doing great deeds. And I think that's a great point. Uh, that's a great point now you know you're a leadership uh, coach and mentor and, and these things um what what kinds of things you know what, what 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 kind of things would you like for healthcare professionals who are treating uh people in this in this time um if there's any like just um uh, you know basic leadership uh, mantras that you might share for healthcare? Because healthcare is kind of the tip of the spear for disparities. Um, right. You know, it, it really does come out in public health and, and you know, at the emergency department and, and at the doctor's office. And, and I think because our audience is mainly healthcare professionals out in the region, you know, what, what are some things that you would like to impart on, on that, that cohort?
1: Well, one is just a a acknowledgement of what you hear. Uh, And I use my wife as an example of that. She's in the other room, so hopefully she won't come out. Um, When she would tell me to enter, let's say I've just come home from work. What I want to do right now is sit down for a few minutes, look at the paper, get something to eat or whatever, and it's Wednesday night and the trash is supposed to go out, and her uh, directions to me are take the trash out. And mine is... I'll take it out, I'm just not taking it out now. Now often what I hear is, you didn't hear me. Well I heard you. I just didn't do what you said at that time. But it's a lack of acknowledgement. And as you know, the the greatest desire that humans have is they want to be loved and acknowledged. And when you don't acknowledge, uh, there's a gap. And there's some tension within that gap. And we then begin to have some perceptions or i see you in another way. And so one is just acknowledgement and that cultural sensitivity to understand that and what that means. What that also means is you have to listen. And listening is not just what you hear, it's also what you see. It goes to your point. We started out on another platform (laughs) where you could see me, but I couldn't see you. That would change things in terms of my seeing your expressions while you're saying what you're saying. And so not only do I hear you, I can actually see the passion and see the enthusiasm for what you're talking about. So the, the culture sensitivity to understand, to listen, to acknowledge, uh, to restate what you heard or what the concerns were and how do you then allay some of those fears that someone may have or provide the comfort for them to take whatever that next step is. So the, that bedside manner and understanding, I think, can go a long way. I'm sure you've had uh, encounters with um, physicians who, it was just matter of fact, very direct. Here it is. You know, My wife has been dealing with um, arthritis on our neck for quite some period of time. We went to Duke University. We were recommended to go, and this is two or three years ago. And we went in, and they did the x-ray, and they came in and said, well, you know, it's pretty bad, and we can do this surgery. And I said, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, we're sitting there looking at her, like, we already know she has this. <laughs> we already know it's bad, and yours is just a matter of fact. Here it is. I don't know what to tell you. You can do surgery. See you later, bye versus someone actually explaining here's what it is or what calls it here are some of the options here are the things i suggest you do it, it was the manner in which it was done that created some of the issue not the issue itself if that makes sense
0: yeah i mean that sounds like a perfect analog to the community problem you know like what you know we know the problem we already knew that and you're telling us well we could do this or you know and 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 i don't think the the people who control the the money and the the ways to really get things moving are hearing that Right. you know so that's a good analogy to 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 the state of our underrepresented communities and or again they they hear it
1: but haven't acknowledged it or demonstrated some some way forward or what we're going to do as another example if i may share a dear friend called me, she worked for me years ago at, at Intagon, which became GMAC Insurance. Uh, she's a nurse now. She's a dear friend. She's been thinking about calling me, but she put it off and she finally reached the point a few days ago to say, I need to call Nige. And here's the issue. Her mother is in a long-term care facility. She has Alzheimer's. Her father was there, but because he smokes, he had to move out and he's in another part none of them can actually go in to see her now, physically, for good reason. Mm-hmm. Her concern is she doesn't know how much longer she's gonna be here and that her mother is losing the will to live because of the lack of contact. So they can go to the window and put the hand up and look at her, but they can't contact. So what she, what she and others, similar to that, want is, well, If the staff can go to work every day and they can put on masks and put on protective gear and the temperature is taken when they come in and they can get tested, why can't we? We are willing. Now, there are a lot of reasons why you can't. The risk increases while people are coming in. We're willing to put on a mask. We're willing to have our temperature taken. We're willing to do whatever it is. And if we can't come in, why can't they come out so we can spend time with them? Mm-hmm. Right, And so we went through a lot of the objections and the reasons why, but he, here was the key part about what really um, was the issue, that they have not been acknowledged that that is even being considered. And even if you can't do it, are you talking about it and what is the plan? Mm-hmm. That, that really was the part that really hurt her. She understands all the other things even though she still wants to do it. But the point is, we presented this to the the statewide level. We can't get an audience. There is no response, not even an acknowledgement, not even a plan. And part of that is there's so many priorities. You choose this one because that's most important. But the point is there's no acknowledgement, at least I heard you. This is why we can't do it. Now, they would still be upset that they can't touch their loved one, but at least there will be some understanding that someone heard me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I mean, and and just to get back to the contact part, uh, you know, again, some of the best parts of my day, I mean, my work hasn't changed because I've been supporting things electronically for a long time. Um, Just my, my venue has changed because I'm at home. Um, But what I miss most is those ad hoc conversations, those, high fives or handshakes or hugs that happen on the daily. And I, you know, those don't happen now. And I can imagine having a uh, a loved one in a long-term care facility or in a hospital and you can't go see him other than FaceTime. And it's just like, you know, I want to, I want to shake your hand right now but I can't, you know? Right. Um, so it's just not the same. I, I fear we lose, a great deal of connection that way and in this time where we're trying to make more connections it's just a bigger challenge. Um but as you posted other, um, recently, <clears throat> you know, the the zone of control, you know, like yeah. you know, this that's the first habit of the seven habits, you know, is being proactive with what you can control. Correct. So so um, um you know that message is really resonates with me because for a while I was getting Like, just in a headspace that I was not well, like, I was not good with, you know, and I was letting the word social distance and, you know, you can't do this and you must do that and the lack of human touch and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I went back to, you know, the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius and, and the Seven Habits, and it's like, okay, what can I control? Let me keep my headspace there. And, and that way I can make a difference and, and bring myself to, to create change that I need to create in my own life. So,
1: well, I like that connection you made, I think, on Instagram to Marcus Aurelius and Jim Smith. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim is the one I've actually uh, borrowed that from. But that, that's so true. What, what is it that you can't control? And, and not only that, something you said, which is very interesting, I'm, I listened to a podcast on uh, own being on NPR, and it was with, uh, his name is Resna (laughs) Menachem, and I can't spell that for you right now, Uh, who lives in Minneapolis, and I want to say he's a psychologist, but he's in that field, and the conversation really was about all the things that are going on, and, and what resonates with you, and where should you begin, and how do we deal with this, and one of the things that he said, which resonated with me, and it reminds me of, a book by uh, Parker Palmer, Let Your Life So Live, as that he said to um, ha- sit in how you're feeling right now, which that's what I heard you say, I was feeling a particular way. And because I can feel my blood pressure going up, I need to move off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> because when I see this, this happens, and I don't want that to continue to happen, otherwise something, that's not good or well actually happens. And, and so for many folk it is, uh, I was sharing this with someone last night, is just our body tells us things and we don't listen to what it's saying or the intuition or our gut. Mm-hmm. And so when you see this and I feel a certain way, I know certain things move me here. Now what I attempt to do, I don't always do it well, is that I know that I have to sit on my hands for a minute, (laughs) right? And not push the button and respond to that. Mm -hmm. And then some days I know, leave that alone and just go back over here. And then there are times things that just happen and, you know, rapid succession, these, these comments and things coming out. But a lot of that has to do with our emotional intelligence and awareness and understanding what those triggers are. And then, how do we manage those triggers? And that goes back to your point, and, and Jim Smith and that diagram is, what's within our circle of control, mm-hmm. and how can we manage that so it so we feel better about how we go about doing what we do. And boy, has this
0: time ever exacerbated what's in within our control, and and us right. having to reflect on it. I mean, you know, the Stoics and, and you know would say meditate on your mortality and certainly i think people have gotten the the the, the or have almost been forced to at least reflect on what it means to live um also like what is within your control i mean i think people are reevaluating um people who never had to before us uh, you know the, the privileged uh, uh middle class and up don't have to worry about food deserts and where our food comes from and those kind of things. And it it has made us think about that. You know, I I haven't gardened for two years because I moved to a condo, um, and now I'm I'm looking at the next move, make sure it has a big enough yard so I can grow some food. You know, right. I mean, those kinds of things. But also like, you know, the the things you have no don't have access to. I mean, one of the things one one of my big parts of my community. Was going to the Y and working out, you know. And I, you posted something, and I posted a contrarian viewpoint. Like, open it up! I'll be the first in line because um, that's what, that's not only my physical wellness, it's my mental health and my connection with others. Right? Group right. exercising, and, and I'm so glad the Y is doing the outdoor classes because I'm I've been doing those and, and staying fit. But that, you know, we we've had to reflect on what it is within our control and how much we value those things. And we have to pay more attention to them. And I think, um, you know, when I hear people saying, oh, you know, stay at home's been great. You know, we redid our pool and our sunken patio. And we're, you know, we're having these great virtual cookouts and, and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm just thinking about the people who home was not a fun place to be. You know? Right. Home was, you know, work was my escape from home life. And then all of a sudden, you're stuck at home with maybe people you don't agree with or don't like, or, you know. So it's 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 really forced us to do. It. And I, I ground it back into that number one habit, or you know that that thing you posted about like the zone of control and just getting back to, you know, the, you know if I if I'm in a bad mood, I'll clean my room, vacuum the house. All of a sudden, I feel a little better. Sure. Um, so, so those little things that um, keep the blood pressure down, <laughs> keep the mental health uh, alive, and I, you know, I really do. I it has been a, a wake up call for me personally just to think about those who don't have, and aren't as lucky as I am, and to see it, you know, fill out into the media, and and, and see people really um, react to the position they find themselves in with nothing left. I mean, it's what, um, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were they um, played an interview with Tupac Shakur and he, and he was like, you know, there's like, how do we get from the message to the current state of, of rap? And he's like, well, if if you knock on the door and say, hey, we're hungry and no one answers and then you beat on the door and, and, and you know, we're hungry. You know, we need to do something, something like, Finally you're going to break the door down. Right. You know, and that, and that's kind of, we've seen it. Um, we're seeing it now. And I, I think it's, it's a, it's a great time. And I love that message about funny, funny. Maybe this was the year we all needed it just shaking yeah. the box more than, and we all have to look at things that are uncomfortable <laughs> and the things that we were so
1: immune to, cause we didn't see it. Right. You know, following up on what you just said, um, to your point, think about the folk who don't have support. Whatever that means, you know, my, um, I have two sisters, or had two. Uh, my sister, who was five years younger, uh, died about uh, 10 years ago, resulting from breast cancer. Sorry about that. Something popped up on the screen. That's all right. Um, and, uh, over a period of time in dealing with that, she ended up in a, in a facility, right? And at the time, I had just left GMAC Insurance and hadn't started the next position. So I had, a, I had the time to be there when she needed it, to take her food, to take her to appointments, et cetera. And so what I saw inside the facility, uh, based on things she would share with me, and my being an advocate for her and asking questions, is that there were people there who had no one no family or anyone who cared or they came around and they were subjected to whatever happened. And I just, I can't wrap my head around that. It just, it just amazes me. My father was in a facility before he deceased and between myself and my stepmother and sister, there was someone there in the morning because he liked his coffee and he liked it hot and they weren't doing it and we wanted to make sure he did. But I'm thinking there's someone across the hall that has no one to come in to advocate for that. And the same thing with, you know, fortunately I have good friends, um, so I know that there's someone who will hear me and go, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Or that I can call and have a conversation with that will give me some feedback or tell me not to do this or suggest something else. And so I think that's a part, going back to your particular point, that there are a number of people who just don't have that support. to even have some, even through this technology or the phone to just talk to, to listen to, to help them navigate or to point them in a particular direction. And that that hurts as much as anything else that we don't have that kind of care that can reach out wherever a person is at that intersection to be able to help them get to that next point.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's an analog, uh, an analog there to also the- where we are now. I mean, I think a lot more neighbors know each other now than they did three months ago. Um, you know, there hopefully I'm looking for silver linings, you know, in all this that, you know, I know more neighbors in my little community now than I than I had before. Um, as we all just get out and dying for social interaction, you know, face right. to face. And um You know, I'd like to think, I'd like to hope that um, more impoverished communities are are connecting on a level too, and maybe, you know, to empower each other and to be there for each other. So I'm hoping that takes place. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. What are you reading now?
1: That is an excellent question. There are too many books on the the bookshelf to read. Um, One of the books I've recently read is by Bobby Herrera, and it's called The Gift of Struggle. Uh, it's a small book, he, um, he he talks about all of us have a struggle or struggles, and part of his point as he shares what his struggle was growing up, which was lacking a lot, his father really worked to prepare for him, he's, um, I want to say, Mexican heritage, um, and he had an incident that happened when he was in high school, he played sports. And because they didn't have, a, and usually what would happen was at the basketball game, uh, on the bus ride back, the team would stop and they would go someplace and eat. He and his brother didn't have enough money to go eat, so they would always stay in the bus. But there was a man who noticed that, who had them to come in and he paid for that for them so that they could eat. And that was something that stuck with him. And So his basis is, is that in struggle, there is a gift. And we just have to recognize that. And, and so the, the book really is about that and how he's applied those lessons to his business that he started and navigating it. Uh, it's an excellent book. It's, it's a, it may be a couple hundred pages if it's that long, but it's easy to read. <clears throat> and it's it's one that just sort of challenges uh, your thinking. Mm-hmm. The, the other one that I'm starting and I need to spend some more time in, and I, I've been on the uh, Uh, social media platforms too much to sit down. I I think I am an adult with ADD. I've never been been diagnosed with that, but I know that my attention span moves real quick when there's something new. Uh, But it's called Dying of Whiteness. And it just talks about the climate. This author spent about six years across parts of the country interviewing people. and, And it's, again, it's one of those disconnects of why do you support this when the policies as a result of that impact you negatively? And it's just how people are reinforced and rooted in a particular ideology or thought process. And even though the person that they are supporting does not have their best interests, they refuse to change and continue to support them. So that's that's still outside in my smoking lounge right now that I need to pick back up and, and continue to read. Well, that's, you know,
0: one of many reasons why I love talking to you and, and, and reading your posts and seeing what you're eating and, <laughs> <laughs> and all those things is because you, you, you have like this perfect blend or this great blend of community involvement and community organization and leadership, but also, a, a, you know, rooted in personal responsibility and taking, turning the struggle around. And again, to focus on what you can control and how you can make that an asset versus a liability, and and mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I look at you as a mentor, um, just you know, um, you know, seeing the things that you're concerned about and posting things that that interest you, and and the fact that you remain grounded, like this is the day, you know, right. you know, I love that because you know it's the same tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same view but it's like this is the day what are you going to do with it you know right. it's yours to either waste or to or to use to your your best ability and, and right. I really appreciate you and and I just uh, uh you know I love having conversations with you and, and and just the human element you bring uh when when you speak and 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 when you meet with people and, and I just think that that's a such a great gift um, to humanity and I just think you need a Larger stage, we you know, the world needs to know about Nigel Austin, not just Winston Salem and in, in, in the triad.
1: I, uh, I appreciate you uh, helping me dip, dip my big toe in the world here with uh, the conversations that we have. So I do appreciate it. All right. Well, when all this uh, uh,
0: the virus activity starts slowing down, maybe we can meet for lunch and buy Miss Daisy a cup of coffee. <laughs> <or
1: something. laughs> so for, for both. For those that are listening, and what they should one thing they should take away from this podcast is that you know a lot about me because uh, you know what food I post and what cigars I'm smoking and what quotes and what books, and also Miss Daisy. So that's that says why. That's right,
0: and I'm still got the offer to read at the book club when that gets going again. So. Yes. All right, Nigel. Love you, man, and appreciate your time. It's the best gift you can give. Well, thank
1: you, Andy. I appreciate the invitation again. It's always good to have a conversation. And at some point in time when we can uh, slap hands or high five and eat a meal, we'll continue the conversation. Until then, we'll then. we'll keep using this technology. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. You have a
0: wonderful day. All right. You do the same. Thank you.